Welcome to Founders First, a show about mental health in entrepreneurship and how to build resilience to stay stronger, happier, and be more successful. You can engage more in the conversation by going to the App Store on your phone and searching Founders First Community. Our guest today has climbed the proverbial ladder of the business world from the bottom all the way to becoming a COO and eventually CEO over a 20-year career. He did this only to find that the ladder was against the wrong wall. He found himself unsatisfied at the top and decided to make a change by giving it all up. He now teaches entrepreneurship at the University of South Florida, is an entrepreneur in residence at the University of Tampa, an executive coach, advises numerous companies on their startup journeys, and has helped raise over $20 million in early stage capital. His recent book, Quit to Start, How to Discover Your Best Idea, Gain Confidence and Plan Your Escape, speaks directly to what he's done and is his newest effort to help entrepreneurs like you succeed. Our guest today is Alan Clary. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Aaron. And uh, I am excited to be here. And uh, it's it's all true. It's all true. Uh, it's It was... Um, what a learning experience it is to to kind of climb the ranks of corporate America, only to be pretty miserable along the way, and then uh, uh, and then realize that really you're kind of meant to be on your own and in some way independent or going and creating something in the world. And and I want people to kind of figure that out sooner than later because we only get one one go of this whole thing called life, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also just incredibly hard. I've had actually two really close friends leave big time careers of, of two decades at IBM and Cisco, where I've watched them make tons of money and, and control the world and be in these huge positions and then jump out and start startups in the last decade. And it's been yeah. really incredible to see, actually, sorry, a third friend as well who left IBM. Um, and and it's interesting to, to see like the bravery that it takes to leave some of those amazing setups that people have in the corporate world, right? <laughs> where yeah. the benefits are insane, the stock options are insane, the, the, the people you get to rub elbows with are incredible and the influence that you can have, but it's not for them. And they move on to do something completely yeah. on their own. Yeah, and if, and if I could, I want to put a big disclaimer right off the top of this thing, right? So, so as much as we're really setting the stage for you know how wonderful it is to make the leap and go and go create your own destiny, we have to start by saying, um, and this ties great into the mission of Founders First. You can very if you if you aren't really uh, thoughtful and purposeful about what you're doing, then you can jump from the frying pan into the fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, this, right, because the and you, to use an old an old phrase, right? Because you know a lot of people would say, "quote leave a job because they're they're miserable, unhappy with their their boss, their culture, or feeling unfulfilled." And you know, just meanwhile, they're they're making three hundred thousand dollars a year or two hundred, you know, <laughs> yeah. and 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 really, you know, having vaca- but uh, feels so unfulfilled. and so or just maybe frustrated with the politics and just all that mm-hmm. stuff, right? And, and then in using the wrong energy and the wrong reasons to like, uh, and, and the wrong assumptions, right. To, to make that, to make that leap, which usually means that they didn't even, if, if they're working off of those wrong reasons, assumptions, they often, it translates into the wrong homework, the home, the wrong homework that leads to making a poor leap, um, which means frying pan into the fire. And when I mean fire, we know what we're talking about the entrepreneurs on this call. We know how, rough and lonely and difficult being an entrepreneur is. So, yeah. so we have to say that on the front. And, and I also like to talk about the fact that 
uh, working for other people isn't always so bad and a paycheck isn't so bad and, and uh, you know, benefits in, in retirement or well, scratch retirement. I don't know who gets that anymore unless you <laughs> do your own. Right. But, but, you know, uh, vacations and, and so there's, there's, you have to really slow down and assess what you are getting potentially going to get rid of, or that you kind of hate so much. Right. Mm-hmm. Versus this romantic concept of being an entrepreneur and controlling your own destiny and independence. So there's that, there's that, um, that success bias and that all that misunderstanding. And that's really, I know you're, I know you're committed to this, to this, to this cause because it directly ties into to happiness and mental health and yeah. physical health, but it also was the backdrop of my book. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a lot of us, whether we uh, you know start companies ourselves or sometimes even join a startup, we get to see very quickly the difference between kind of working with other folks in a, in a big corporate environment. I've seen this through some of my friends recently and working with the types of personalities that are people like us who start companies where they go, <laughs> oh my goodness, like you can't, <laughs> I can't even tell you what my founder, you know, at this company did last week and this happened and that happened, right? These are right. Different, different right. personality sets. Yeah. So, I want to catch our guests up here on on our format today. I'm going to ask Alan a number of questions, and then um, we're going to open it up to the audience, too. So when questions pop into your mind, drop them into chat here in Zoom, and we'll pick them up when we get there later. Don't don't worry about interrupting us. Drop them in whenever when something comes to mind, and and we'll pick them up. And I know since we have a lot of entrepreneurs on this call, there's always a lot of questions. So we're looking forward to that. Um, Alan, first, I want to talk about your book, Quit to Start, which we just mentioned. So yeah. You said it's much more about starting than quitting, which I think is really interesting. I think so many aspiring entrepreneurs find it incredibly difficult to know when to start, when to take the leap, because it's, it's emotional. It's really scary to actually you know, rip the Band-Aid and do it. It's also every entrepreneur's first experience with that feeling of gnawing uncertainty that as entrepreneurs, we, we never really shake off and we get to either become comfortable with or, or live with. So tell me a little bit about your story when you decided you needed to make a change and, and what similarities yeah. you've seen in, in other entrepreneurs that led you to focus on this this early stage of the entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like most probably people here on the on on this uh, on this call, but also um, almost all the entrepreneurs and successful entrepreneurs I know and even read about, we all kind of did it wrong, right? We all kind of do it. We all did it pretty much out of emotional low data, low data emotional reasons, right? Mm-hmm. And it. It, it works out for a small percentage, a minority percentage, let's say, right? And we're not trying to say that only one or 2% make, like we, you know, it works out for a good number of us, but it worked out for a small percentage of us or a minority percentage yeah. because of that, that reason. And I was of the same. I, the last one that I, the last, and I've done a couple quit the starts, right? I've, I've kind of done it okay. And I've done it poorly, but, but, but even the, the one that worked out the best for me, I did it really mostly for emotional, um, frustration reasons. And, uh, I was, a I was a consultant you know, on an airplane. I was, uh, burnt, you know, a lot of burnout and really just grinded and, and burned down in terms of just, uh, um, uh, you know, what I would, you know, uh, billable time and working on projects that were so, um, I call them the, gra- um, the, the, the gravity of failure. Like I was working on big system integration projects. And so I was holding those up all the time for big clients with lots of say money on the line, so to speak. And the pressure was just always constant. And, um, and, uh, and so it, it I just kind of started just getting into a real negative place mm-hmm. and didn't want to keep doing this. And, and also found myself just being, um, 
just kind of, and I talk about it as being used up, right? Too, I realized that this that this company would just keep taking everything that I would give it, like, and because because I have the entrepreneurial mindset and 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 I, an energy level. Mm-hmm. I I learned. It took me I don't know how many years to learn that companies will will keep take they will take me all the way to the bone and they will empty me out, right? And I, and, and at some point it just hit me like this has to stop because mm-hmm. a little bit more money and a little bit of promotion chase. Oh boy. It, it just wasn't adding up. So I kind of broke and I, it was a combination of me um, kind of working these long stressful hours and, 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 and then a big idea, a big idea came to me and it was 2007 actually when, when mm-hmm. the last one. And, um, and then I just got so energized and just immediately started working on my, uh, my, my web startup Um and, and, but so but when I made the leap though, I had like, oh, man, I think I, I had, I think I had like $10,000, mm-hmm. you know, saved when I made this leap, right? Ridiculous. And, but I didn't care. I don't care. Honestly, Aaron, I don't care if I had $2,000. <laughs> it might as well have been right. 10,000 mm-hmm. was, was barely anything. Right. I had a, fa- had a family uh, at that time. And, but at that point I, I was willing to do anything to get away from the pain and the, mm-hmm. and the agony of, mm-hmm. of the job. Right. So that, I think a lot of people can relate with that, but then I had to scramble. It's like being thrown into deep water, not knowing how to swim. (laughs) If I had known that I was going to just fall into deep water, I would not have made that jump. Right. (laughs) But because I, I kicked really hard and swam as hard as I could, maybe I was a little stronger than the next. I somehow was able to fight through that. And you get, when you finally drag yourself to shore after a few years, you look back and go, oh my God, that was stupid, right? And I cannot believe I did not know how deep this water was. And I cannot believe I was even going into water without knowing how to swim. So, so my mission now is to try to, try to uh, educate and help people that are in jobs understand the deep depth of the water, under, learn how to swim, understand what's going to happen. And then, because I think if, if, if you know, it's not that I wouldn't have jumped, I would have, but I wouldn't have jumped the time that I did. I would have taken more time and more preparation would have learned how to swim. I would have expected the deep water. I would have, you know, it's just different when you, when you know what you're getting into. Yeah. So we, we talk a lot at Founders First about the societal cost of so many brilliant entrepreneurs burning out. That's one side of this. Maybe they see great success. You said a minority in, in terms of a total of entrepreneurs are, are successful. Um, most aren't. Yeah. Um, what's, what's really compelling to me is that you focus on the other side of the equation, right? That one of your themes is that we choose who are meant to be entrepreneurs um, or that, that those who are meant to be entrepreneurs just know that they're meant to do something other than like grind away at a job that doesn't satisfy them. They sort of fill something that that's put pushes them in this direction. I think it's really interesting because it, it suggests that there's also a societal cost when those who could be great entrepreneurs never get started in the first place, right? The innovation oh, doesn't, doesn't ever get out there. So I'd, I'd love to hear you talk uh, a little bit about it's what do you see most often in like students or clients when you say this person needs to take the leap, like they got to do it. Yes. The number, if you, if you could do the math on the lost, uh, you know, um, you know, gross product or the, the, the loss of the economic value of, of, uh, entrepreneurs, on, aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial, uh, enabled people that never make the leap. It's an astronomical number. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, and I think you and I talked about this last time and it reminds me how great that conversation was. And, and, and honestly too, we, and I think everybody would, would know this too. You could say on average, the, uh, you know, if you were really being uh, analytical about it, you could make the case that the wrong people actually make the leap and become entrepreneurs and, and the right ones never do. 
That's interesting. You can make that case, right? Because the, the ones that actually make the leap or we're emotionally driven or we're, we got to screw loose. We're, we're kind of hard to, you know, we, we, we don't, we have authority issues. We, we just mm-hmm. have like, you know, all the ones who make, we all have the, the ones who make the leap are just, we're all a little, a little wacky. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and those are kind of emotional reasons that we are driven to, to make these leaps. And some of us make it through to the other side. And we usually don't have our relationships, our family or our health to show for it at the end. Right. Mm because we don't even know how to balance, but the, but the, some of the best people in corporate who are just smarter and more pragmatic and um, that, you know, that have like a lot more poise and analytical ability, uh, you know, you, and you could make the case that they're, they're the ones that actually should be the ones who make the moves. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I've felt that and looked around at some of my friends that like those friends that have jumped out now eventually become entrepreneurs. But even some of my my good friends, you know, we were talking about our mutual friend, Cameron, who's an executive at, at Qualcomm, right? Just like incredibly balanced people who are incredibly inspiring, make great decisions, great leaders. <laughs> and, and he was an entrepreneur before going into his corporate yes, career. But he's a great example. He is a great example. Our friend, our mutual friend, Cameron, he's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I look at people like that and, and myself as an entrepreneur and I'm just like, like, why isn't that person doing my job? Like he is way more balanced. He's got his stuff together in a way that I don't. And, and we all know these people, right? We look at them and go like, you know what, these people would be incredible entrepreneurs. Yet the, the, the folks that make the, the jump are, are people like me. And I, I actually go back to something mm-hmm. that I think people get wrong from, from my story a lot of times in, in starting so many companies over the years. And, um, you know, they asked this question of like, you know, what, what was your dream? What were you, what were you seeking when you became an entrepreneur? And I kind of flip it the other way and say, no, I was running from things. I was scared of traditional paths. Um, both my parents are teachers and professors and I didn't, that, that looked like a lot of pressure. I'd have to stand up in front of a crowd every day. And as an anxious kid, I'm like, well, that's not, that's not me. I don't, I don't want the spotlight. Uh, yeah. I don't want the spotlight yet. I come over and you know try and be my own CEO at my own company and raise capital and pitch a product, right? Like somehow that looks different to me yet. Yes. The second I get into it, I'm like, wow, this is really hard. Yeah. You know, I get, sometimes I, I, I get a little flack for this and because I'm in line with you. And even when I speak to my students, I actually, I, I, I say that I hate to admit this, but it's, it's negative, often negative factors that drives, you know, entrepreneurs to not only make the leap, but then drive them to ultimate success. They're running away from something, fear of something. Um, obviously fear of failure. I, call, I consider that a good thing. Fear of failure as a pot. Unfortunately, what, you know, it goes back to the drowning in the ocean thing. Like who's the one that's going to, you know, fight, you know, the fear of drowning. It's incredible. I hate to, sometimes I I don't, I feel guilty about saying it, but I don't at the same time, because it's an honest, real answer. And there's a lot of fluffy, you know, entrepreneurship, as you know, has continued to be more and more popular and more and more, you know, uh, more and more academic and more and more romantic and glamorous and all Mm -hmm. these things. Right. But, um, but when you peel it back, it's, it's, it's driven by a lot of, a lot of uh, what you could categorize as negative negative forces. Elon, even Elon Musk, if you interview, if you watch the sixty minutes interview he did a few years ago, he almost started crying in the interview just because of of the the, the kind of this 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 thing inside, right? So it kind of gets back to why people like our mutual friend who who don't make the leap, they're not quite as broken on the inside. <laughs> they're not they don't they're not quite carrying a lot of this uh, angst and, and and determination to prove oneself you know, to, to, um, be, want to be right. Like entrepreneurs, they want to prove something. They, they, they see something. They, they can't be where they are. They're just, they're, they're, they're anxious. They're unsettled. They're not happy with the, anything, 
it's just a tough existence, right? And we're all fortunate we find anybody who's willing to like marry us or even stick around. <laughs> yeah, to, to be in a relationship with people like us. <laughs> yeah, Do, Dr. Michael Freeman, the you know incredible researcher and psychiatrist on on the West Coast who's studied entrepreneurs for so long, you know, said on said on this show a couple months ago that something very similar to what we're talking about here. He said, you know, that it's it's a very romantic image and everyone pictures that as they come into it, but by the time people actually become an entrepreneur they're pretty bruised and beat up like that's and, and not even like five years in which we I think all can all relate to that part of it but like often in the moment when they start they're kind of bruised and beat up and that's what causes them to kind of come running into the scene and, and become an entrepreneur yeah it's really interesting stuff right and 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 it's to be you know and as much as we just made the case for you know the wrong way to do it we have to turn that coin over and say well only you know only the people that have that that come some of that negative stuff in them actually kind of have the will to fight through mm-hmm. it, through yeah. the hard stuff. And so like our mutual friend, he might know it's like, you know what, if the push came to, uh, do, how bad do you want it? I mentioned this in my book, right? Like when people say, what's it take to be an entrepreneur or to be successful? And it really comes down to something very simple. How bad do you want it? Because mm-hmm. the adversity that you're going to face uh, is going to be beyond your, beyond your dreams, uh, imagination. Um, and, and how bad you want it is going to ultimately be what pulls you through. I mean, we all know not only our own personal dark days of entrepreneurship, but also the, the, the people that we know. Mm-hmm. And you can see the look in the eye of the person that's, that's going to pull through because you can see they have this, this, this fear of failure and this will to, to live. And then the people who go, screw that, I'm going back to get a job. Like, this, I'm not, I don't, you know, it's not that, it's not that important to me. Mm-hmm. And I always struggle with, I always struggle with, that's unhealthy, right? I always struggle with, that's for sure unhealthy, but that's for sure not good. But at the same time, it seems to correlate with success. And I don't know when, when in our lifetime, if we can ever square this, surely there are, I know we know there are some entrepreneurs that have been successful who have kind of been, you know, healthy and successful, but it's so rare. So mm-hmm. I hope in my lifetime, I can be a part of, of a new model, a new paradigm that, that gets to what we're talking about, where people that don't have to be so um, kind of, um, kind of damaged, for lack of a better word, that have, mm-hmm. they're the only ones that can really make it through because they have such a, they have such this, this will to survive and fight inside of them. Mm-hmm. It seems like it'd be great if it wasn't that hard and that, um, that intense, right? Yeah. I mean, can we go as far as to say that it's, you know, that damage is, is that it's, it's self-inflicted in a lot of ways, right? Is, is it sure. like the innovation that drives our world forward, the, the value of global creative capital comes at the expense of the physical and mental health of these brilliant people? Like, is that, That's right. is that kind of what the equation is? Yeah. When I, but I, and I'll go a step further unpopular and say, you know, damage, I'm also referring to childhood, right? I'm, I'm refer, I mean, I'm referring to a lot of times there's that correlation between you know, the kid that was picked on, the kid that was, you know, overweight or the kid that was left out or the kid that was, you know, all the negative. How many times do you see interviews with, with successful people, um, especially entrepreneurs that will tell you they were, they were not popular as kid. They, they were, again, picked on, blah, 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 a lot of these negative things. And, there's, and, and so sometimes um, it's kind of a neat way for the way nature and society is re- rewarding or helping people that, that were, you know, and like my own dad, he was, he calls, he refers to himself as a sickly child. Like, first of all, he's, a, my dad was like a very big man, six, three, intimidating man's man. Like he made grown men cry. That was his whole thing. And as even as I was growing up, 
But he loves to talk about when he was, you know, under the age of 10, that he was the little sick boy that grandmother had to look after. And, and he, it's still like, it still was his thing. Like he, he had this resentment about being the weak, this little weak kid and all the other kids. And he was the little weak. This sounds really funny to talk about, but, but in reality, those are the kinds of things that trigger early and then kick in later. And when, like when my dad became like a, 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 in a, a strength, a position of strength, stuff like that was driving him. Right. And the other thing that drove him was that he was, they were poor. And so the fact that he was the little, the little runt kid and that they were poor, meaning like he could never afford this, that, and the other. So, so by the time he became of age, he was driven. He was never going to be the weakling and he was never going to be poor. I mean, I hate to say, I hate to say it, but it can be that simple. And it often is. Mm Mm-hmm. So in your book, you talk about within this cast of people who are meant to be entrepreneurs or considering entrepreneurship, you've identified three personality types. I think this is really important because you actually suggest that each one should approach their journey a little bit differently. Can you talk about those personality types and like what what are their motivations and how should each type of person prepare? I'd love to know what I am. I want to think through this. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. This part of my book, I didn't expect uh, to be to resonate the way it has. It seems to be the one thing that a lot of people remember. And I think, wow, it's interesting when you write a book or funny when you do anything out there in the world, the thing that, that gravitates. So I did this ABC type A, type B, type C thing. And you know, the type A, this is for aspiring entrepreneurs, by the way, okay. more so than, than entrepreneurs. So the aspiring entrepreneur, the type A, the type A aspiring entrepreneur is this, the person that we all know is going to start a company. Mm-hmm. They carry it as they carry it on their sleeve, the confidence, the, the swagger, the, the, everybody's like that guy or that, that, that gal, she, they're going to, they're going to go in places. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty easy spot. And the type B entrepreneur, I, I say, is kind of like the, the introverted, but the, but the analytical plotter, right? This is someone you go, man, that person is scary, smart. That person's going to be a millionaire. You know, that person's going to be a millionaire, et cetera, but they don't, they're not as charismatic, but they're mm-hmm. scary, smart. And you can just see they're, that, that, that uh, they're uh, going to, they're going places, but in a different way. So I don't really even try to, my book was not trying to help those people per se. It was like, those people are going to quit to start anyway. <laughs> you know, they're going to quit to start anyway. It was this type, what I coined the type C, which is like we said earlier, uh, you know, the, the person that um, is maybe not scary smart, but really smart. The person that maybe not, maybe not be uber confident, but pretty confident. The person that, uh, you know, may not be a massive risk taker, but willing to take some risk, you know, just that, 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 that poised, a uh, person that that's that's equipped it has probably has all the tools mm-hmm. but like our mutual friend may have keeps doing the math and goes not worth it but really the world uh deserves those people um not to spend the rest of their life being chewed up by their corporate job those are those are stars that should get a chance to to um to sink so that's what i call the type c which is the one that's lacking just enough to be to be pushed out right and maybe they didn't have the the issues like I described from their childhood or or some other mm-hmm. you know damaged or broken piece. Like they're just like, wait a minute. But but they're not they they don't they're not happy with just being in a job forever. So they're kind of in that 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 middle ground of of not being uh, completely consumed by the by needing to break away, mm-hmm. but also not being happy. And and that's the person that I would love to kind of what we mentioned earlier in my lifetime, I would love to not only personally help, but I would love to see a paradigm unfold where where those people could get the tools. Because at the end of the day, the book, would, I, ultimately, I just say, hey, if it's really, a, it's really, um, it's like, it's really a game that you can study 
and you can play and you can win. It's like, you can learn to swim. You can learn to play baseball. You can learn these things and you can be successful. So taking that type C talent and teaching them what minimum viable products are and what scalability is and, and how to create a roadmap and how to just how to assemble everything and how to prepare their minds and how to just, it, it could all be easily, it could all be really taught to the right people. It really could, I think. Yeah. So what, what's different about the skills that each of these categories need to have? Like the type A folks, do they have the skills already? Or are they just, they're just brave enough that it doesn't matter what punches them in the face. They're going to keep moving, right? It doesn't the matter. Ladder. The yeah. ladder, in my opinion. I don't, the type A, in my opinion, they don't always even listen. They, they're not great. They're, they just, you know, and that's me and you probably, I'm, I don't know, actually, I know I'm the type A. Like I just, you can't tell me, it's hard to tell me anything. I'm just going to do it. I take, I try to take feedback, but at the end of the day, I get a vision and a drive and I'm like, I got to do this. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, you know, confirmation bias is a, is a problem for the type A. And, but the problem is the type A is usually pretty charismatic. So guess what? They, they can pull it off a lot of times. And even mm-hmm. people will give them money a lot of times because they, they convey so much confidence in what they do. And they're so yeah. certain. I talk about, you know, confidence is one thing, but what's really important is certainty, right? Confidence is kind of, you can put on confidence and confidence can be fleeting, but certainty is different. So like people that are certain, you can feel the difference, Right. And, uh, and those, those people, again, um, you know, a good many of them make it, a good many don't on the type A side, right? They're actually sometimes more dangerous uh, than they are good, right? Because they have the power to, to lead people and to draw people and money and market. They have a power, all these things, but sometimes they can get way over their head because they never learned to swim. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, crap. So that's the type A. Type B, you know, um, in terms of what they, uh, you know, are they... They, you know, they kind of need, they look for the type A to latch onto a lot of times because they little feel a little insecure about their ability to, 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 uh, to present and to, uh, actually I'm thinking of a type B right now in my mind that isn't confident in front of, you know, people or investors or even customers. They want, they want the, uh, someone. And so they kind of lag. They don't, they send that they tend to lag and wait for their shot and they glob onto that type A when they find that type A. Cause mm-hmm. I, I know, cause I've been the type A my whole life and I, I've had them glob onto me many a times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a weird feeling. It's like, dude, you don't, what do you, like, you need me? And they're like, yeah, I think I need you. And like, you don't need me. You're way smarter than I am. <laughs> like, yeah, but Alan, you can get out there and you can, you can, you know, energize people. So, you know, the, the A and the B, the, the C is the ones that I really get excited because, okay, great. Let's, um, all this stuff that, you know, Aaron, you work with founders and, and that are already out in the world. You know mm-hmm. the, the X's and O's of startup world. Once you've made the leap, you put your company together. You know, there's great lean startup, right? Mm-hmm. And and the uh, lean, lean the business model canvas and, and what investors look for and what they don't. It just, we, but the problem is it's, it's, it's almost like trying to teach somebody to swim when they're in the deep water. And you know this, cause I'm sure you work with, you know, so what if we could, what if we could take all this, this information and knowledge that's actually pretty well codified now and, and, and get it to the type C's in their jobs and they can take their time and learn it, plot their course one, two, three years and get the right thing at the right time and, and pull it all together. You know, that's, that's kind of the mission. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about timing. So we've talked about the types of people who do or don't make the leap, their strengths, what they need to learn. So let's talk about when it's time to like actually walk away and chase your dreams. If, if yeah. there's folks kind of in this, in this moment, 
Yeah. Um, sometimes we can get fed up, right? You talked about the emotional side where we get fed up with a colleague or a supervisor. We're just pissed off. You know, yeah. I'm taking the goldfish. Who's coming with me? Right. Off we go. Um, and it's more of an emotional decision. Um, you talk about the importance of timing and having a plan. What's your advice to, that you give to clients and colleagues about like knowing when the time's right and, and what steps do you take to prepare before you walk out the door? Yeah, it really comes. It's really you know one word really matters here, and, and I know you're going to smile and validation uh, and specifically customer validation, right? Mm. Uh, that's the one piece that is um, that we've all learned in the startup game now. You know, post uh, leap, we all know it now, but uh, it's mm. the one thing that is often missing with that emotional move, right? That uh, emotional driven move or that vision. You can because the one thing we're we're kind of all scared of is rejection. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that leap, whether it be A or B, um, they often are too really, they're not always really willing, like Steve Blank's book, you know, the epiphany, right? Like they really, um, it's, it's so easy to skip validation because you get so, and I'm working with a, with a startup uh, group right now. And the first thing I noticed when I started working with them is they, they were just so focused on their product. Of mm-hmm. course, and that doesn't surprise you. We see this over and over and over again, right? And by the way, the product is beautiful and it is great and everything is, they're doing a great job. But, um, but there's a big question mark around, uh, will it be you know, fully embraced and adopted? And they're, they're in their mind, of course it will be, right? And, you know, and it looks like all, all signals say yes, mm-hmm. but we know how often that has let us down and how often... Uh, and so, so making that time from timing perspective, the idea really is to um, obviously do as, as much as you can nights and weekends to build up this, mm-hmm. this, uh, this, this startup concept, but to get to customer validation, um, people would think a certain cash flow number is important, but really uh, validating that people will buy or use your product or service um, in a repeatable way. That, that, and I'll even be more specific that strangers will buy or use your product in a repeatable way. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's really the, tr- that's really the tipping point factor. And you can even make a leap before you're financially ready. If, if you have to, if you have the, if you have that, right. Mm-hmm. Because you can, you can, you can make the money work from there, but so often the leaps, including myself may make the leap with everything looking perfect and awesome and tri- perfectly. But there's that, but wait a minute the customer validation is in there. So when we got around to launching and trying to really sell it for real, we were in shock. We were shocked that, that, that it wasn't just, it wasn't just funneling in that mm-hmm. we were like, how is this possible? So, you know, that customer journey and, and you know all about this and mm-hmm. that's the one thing. So timing really, um, it has to correlate directly with that. Yeah, I can see the type B, and, and I've got a little bit of type B in me as well, kind of like the mad scientist. Yeah, I can see that, Aaron. I can yeah. see it. Yeah, I've got I have a degree in computer science. <laughs> yeah, and I've definitely latched onto the A types before. And <laughs> I've also had to be the A type sometimes, and it doesn't come naturally, but I've, I've had to do it from time to time. But um, yeah, you know, the, the type B type, you think about it, right? They're like the, the mad scientist building the product in the background. Like, obviously, the world's going to love it because they are actually really smart. The world's validated that they're very smart. They're designing something probably brilliant, but they, and they're also maybe scared of, of the, you know, being judged, right. As we talked about before, they're not the type of person that's comfortable putting that out in front of a user. They would rather just assume the user is going to love it and keep building it. And then I can even see that the type A type that's so confident, you know, like they don't even really care if the product's that good, maybe, but it's like, you know, I know I can sell this and we can improve the product later. I've seen plenty of software companies. That's 80% of the A's and B's right there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So 
one of the things we focus on at Founders First is this importance of not going it alone once you, you get started. Grinding away and pretending that everything's fine, never showing weaknesses. Um, there can actually be serious mental health impacts of doing this. And we talk about this on this program and at Founders First all the time, and it reduces our productivity. And we see these things in ourselves as entrepreneurs or, or in others around us. You call it the entrepreneurial death march. And we talked a little <laughs> bit about vulnerability before. What have you seen in your experience or your teaching that speaks to the importance of having a community around you where you can be honest yes. and vulnerable once you get started as an entrepreneur? Yeah, thank you. And, 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 I, and I'm guilty of it. And I'm guilty of it. And I fight this myself. And that's why I was able to write about it and speak about it and teach about it because it, it, I felt it, I fight it myself. Um, a bit of a perfectionist um, and, and also uh, just that kind of, I guess, sums it up a little bit as well. But some, some quick facts. Uh, if you ever want investment, then, um, then forget trying to be going in alone. So, so not that everybody wants investment, but that immediately should get some people's attention, mm-hmm. right? Like if you plan to get investment for whatever you're doing, there needs to be more than you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one of the first things I like to say about it. That gets a lot of people's attention um, as a reason. Um, and, you know, that, that great saying of, um, you know, uh, alone we go, alone we go, you go faster, but, but together we go further. And I love that. I love that saying, but it, it's really tough. It's tough for, for strong entrepreneur, solopreneur, man. It's one of the things I've struggled with so much is, uh, you know, tolerating other people in my, uh, in, in my vision, in my vision. Right. And I say mine, and I think maybe that's the best answer is to try to not let it be your vision. Cause I don't think you can ever let anybody in your, in your vision. I think they maybe, you know, the plan would be to, to say, Hey, you know what? Um, before I get carried away, let me let let me find somebody that can I can create this with from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So that it never quite locks in as yours. I think that would be so important, and I would recommend that even if it wasn't a scalable, investable company. I would say even if you were one of the most successful companies here in the Tampa Bay area is a company called TriBridge, and the Tri stood for three, is in three partners, <laughs> and it also stood for the three bridges over Tampa Bay, but it was three partners. And right from the beginning, I mean, they 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 sold for a really big number uh, just a couple of years ago, and I worked there for that was my last real full time uh, job there, um, and it, they were the, it was a really big deal in our town. But they from the day one, they just uh, they they formed the whole concept together. I think personally, for me, someone who struggles with this concept is probably the only way I could do it would be to to not let it. Um, not let myself create it and then go find people to do it with me. I very mm-hmm. rarely see that really work. Mm-hmm. I very rarely see that work. So, yeah. so multiple passionate people coming together in- from the beginning, like early, yeah. early, early, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that makes a lot of sense. We see this in founding teams in among our membership at Founders First and the workshops we do, where they come in and you know we realize these companies that have two or three or four co-founders, sometimes even five. Um, start to develop a bit of a code when they become emotionally available to each other, where they can kind of like tag each other in and out of critical responsibilities in the business. And like, and what a gift, right? For as a solo entrepreneur, like it is so hard. You, you can't take the day off from the customer meeting. Maybe you can, but maybe we should, but it yeah. feels a lot harder. And when you've got a team of co-founders and, and especially when they have that level of emotional availability to each other to say, you yeah, know what, bad day, I need the day off. And, and honestly, if I talk to the client, I'm not going to close them because I'm a mess. You know, you go in and do it. But, and great, you know, I'm feeling great today. I'll take over, come back on Tuesday, get refreshed. You can take the next one, right? Like that's so right. powerful. It's so powerful. And Aaron, you know what? The solopreneur thing, um, we're just starting, a, even if you've been like starting, it's great for a while. You know, it's, it's got this false uh, positive to it, right? Uh, 
and you're thinking, oh, I can, and, but then it, 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 it catches you down the stretch when, um, if, unless you kind of built in that, that, that core group uh, from the beginning and you've got joint ownership from the beginning of the, of not just ownership equity wise, but you know, ownership of what we're going to do, why we're going to do it, how we're yeah. going to do it. As painful as it is, in other words, pull, let, pull that pain into that early, early, those early days. And then, by the way, I'm feeling the, the, the perfectionist entrepreneurs out there. I know just, it's like they take a couple scoops of pain early and now, and then, and then, and then not deal with the, the epic, you know, catastrophic pain later. Hmm. That's incredible. I know your, your data point around entrepreneurs, if you want to have outside funding, have a team. Um, I'm a, a mentor with the Boulder tech stars. You can see the difference between a true co-founded team and a bolt, a bolt on co-founding team. So bolt on co-founding team can go pretty far and do okay, but you can, you can definitely sense the difference. And I'm thinking of a few startups that, that I know of that have a true original, you know, co-founding team. And you can feel that difference. The, the, it's just different. And from an, yeah. from an investor perspective, it's where you want to be because the bolt on kind doesn't always hold up. Somebody, you know, if it's just a, that dynamic. If there's a dominant, if there's a dominant founder, yeah, it's it's still you're not quite out of the woods in terms yeah. of can hold it. Yeah. So to our guests, I've got a couple more questions for Alan. So if you got a question, I saw a couple of them coming in here. We're going to get to those next. Um, so now's a good time. Drop them into chat. Keep them coming. I know we have. This is questions. awesome. All right. So Alan, your experience has had you interact with hundreds of entrepreneurs. You've seen the best and worst practices and have been able to come up with some insights that can be so helpful to those getting started. I'd like to ask for those who feel the inclination to become entrepreneurs, what are your, what are Alan's like top three practical steps they should take to focus that drive before they begin their journey? Yeah. The first thing is to, um, uh, truly know, know what's missing and, and what your why is basically, right? The classic why, Simon Sinek's why, right? Um, which, which, by the way, Simon Sinek, you know, he, he talked a lot about the company why um, a lot, and, you know, but there's this, there's this deep down, you know, personal why that needs to be inspected. So really knowing that, we got into some of that earlier in terms of what are, you know, what are your, what's your true driver here and, and what, what's, what is, what's truly, what's truly driving you and understand it and, and at least identify it. So, so that shouldn't be a mystery to you. Um, the sooner you can kind of understand it, the better, um, you know, it, number two is do, do the homework, right? Like, again, study the, study this game, study the game, uh, study the startup game. There's so many great books, as we know, there's the Steve mm -hmm. Blank book of the, you know, the, the epiphany we've got, uh, the lean startup. We, there's so many, there's so many great books that, um, the, the, the hard thing about hard things and, mm -hmm. um, uh, it's just so many great books. So, you know, like anything in life you, you, that you want to learn, you know, like, um, learn, learn those, learn the game. And then, and then the third thing would be to go find real entrepreneurs that are about, that have actually made the leap and talk to them about it. And you might be surprised at what you hear. Um, you know, don't, you know, like they'll, they'll tell you, you know, if you find them and get them, they'll tell you straight up. So you just, again, it gets back. Like you just don't, you really don't know. So until you, and you'll be reading these books and you'll be like, Whoa, I had no idea that you, you know, like that whole multi, like I said, the solopreneur versus the team of founders, you know, how to raise money, what, when, who, who do investors get money to? That's just one thing we mentioned. Right. But if, yeah. but if you don't understand scalability, if, if you don't understand, uh, you know, what, what investors like and don't, if you don't understand that, 
what things get investment and don't like, I can't tell you how many times that I get like people approach me about like, I'm just, I just need an investor. Like I'm looking, I'm going, you really, I don't say this of course immediately, but, but they, they don't really understand what is investable and what's not. Most of us feel this is so true. And I used to feel this way that if I'm just an impressive person with the, that, that with an impressive product or an impressive idea, or how can you even be a, like a not, it could even be like a services company that really will never make, you know, like, I just feel like investors want to give that people, investors are just out to give, give money to really exciting things. Mm -hmm. That's how I thought about investing. Investors want to give money to exciting things. And it's not like, it's not, I mean, it's really, it couldn't be further. And so it's shocking when no one's giving you money for your exciting thing. (laughs) So, uh, you know, that's the thing is, uh, you know, understand what your true motivation is. Um, you know, and then know, know the game, study the game, and then go talk to people that are, that are in the game. Now you'll, now you'll know really, it'll be, it'll be like almost 180 degrees from what you think it should be. And then, then they can then now make a new decision <laughs> about yeah. whether it's for you or not. Yeah. And the, and, you know, folks like myself, and I think, you know, a lot of folks on this call that have run businesses for years, we watch kind of the glorified shows like Shark Tank, where, you know, investors are there just basically throwing out dollar bills on every idea that comes in and looks flashy and has, you know, a cool looking team and uh, shows like, you know, Silicon Valley and, you know, folks that folks that know this game, you know, I, I look at Silicon Valley and I'm like, you know, everyone else is cringing. Oh my God, that investor backed out last minute or somebody stole money from the company or they lost a huge, like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Like, no, like actual real life <laughs> for folks that have been entrepreneurs like that. And I think your point about just ask entrepreneurs, I'll tell you the truth. We don't, you know, most of us don't pull punches on what the reality is like to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like the, the truth is, 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 you know, stranger than the fiction around this. <laughs> like it, <laughs> it will get wild. And, and probably the only way to, to really understand what some of the, what wild is really going to look like is to talk to folks that have been there. Absolutely. I would just mean say like, if, if like that, that's uh, if, if you're still not scared after, after everything we just went through, then you might have what it takes. <laughs> <laughs> so a bit of delusion is important. Yeah. yeah. All right, Alan, thanks for all this. So this is such an important discussion for aspiring and, and current founders as well. So I'm going to turn to our members and answer some questions. We're going to answer some questions that they'd like to ask. So, um, let me jump into chat here. Maximilian says, thanks for hosting this. Maximilian, thanks for being here. Um, first question from um, Frank Saragossi. Hey, Frank, good to see you again. Um, his question is, joint ownership is great to share the stress. Do peer communities serve the same purpose? I know you're part of the Wave Accelerator groups. You've got some kind of forum groups that you put together. So you've got experience with this. Does that provide a similar benefit? It's a question kind of around is, are those groups really worth it? You know, accelerator uh, entrepreneur support organizations. Yeah, do they solve part of the like not going it alone? Because we kind of took that in the direction of co-founding teams, but there's other ways to do it. Yeah, I'd be honest. I mean, I'm always going to always be honest on any interview I give, right? I find that 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 um, some, I I was just in a conversation yesterday with, with with a successful startup founder who said that, that he never would, he never did and never would join anything like that because he it just didn't feel like it was something he needed. So, so I, I'm a big fan of all of that. And, and so I feel like that for, for, for some founder entrepreneurs, it's the perfect fit. They, 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 they want the support. They, they, they feed off of support. They feed off community. They feed off of network and you're supposed to pursue whatever feeds you. So, so it's there and you, and for sure you will benefit with being smarter, right? You cannot go wrong with getting more 
more help and more input. Now, the trade-off on that, sometimes you can get too much, too many opinions. Mm-hmm. I recently interviewed a founder, um, and she said she was over-mentored, you know. So, um, over-mentored. So, it can, be, it can actually create some confusion when you're getting too many inputs. So, there's some risk in it. But overall, I think um, if it's a good, if it's a good uh, peer group organization that, that is organized correctly, it can be very valuable. But you still have to own yourself, right? So, if for sure... You, you still need to do your homework and be centered. And, and so you know what to let in and what to keep out and, and, and how to manage all the inputs that are coming at you. Because a lot of these organizations that I'm a part of, we, you know, they, they, we, you know, a lot of stuff we're, we're trying to help. And, and some of it can be, uh, can be um, like I said, overwhelming or ill-timed. So, but then on the flip side of that, if, if, if I have no judgment for founders that want to go it, kind of go it, um, I say alone, but like do it without a lot of that kind of community support because I've seen it be successful, just as successful. And uh, they ultimately, uh, the only thing that would be a crime is if they did it without knowing all that was available. And they're like, man, I could have used that, right? Mm-hmm. So, but if, yeah. you, but if you assess it and you consciously say it's not for you and it's not going to, then, then by all means, uh, do, do you, do your thing. Yeah, I think as an entrepreneur, we can or entrepreneurs here, we can probably all relate to this. Like if you've, I've done this a million times. You build a pitch deck for a business or an idea or a product, and you go out to your peers or you go to one of these groups, and you do a pitch night, and you get feedback. And you know, four people in a row. One person says, "Lose the team slide; it's terrible." The other person says, "The team slide's the most important slide in a pitch deck." The next person says, "That's the best team slide I've ever seen," and the next person goes, "That's the worst team slide I've ever seen." And you're like, "Thank you for the feedback." What the hell am I supposed to do now, right? That's like, that could be a real example. problem. The worst example is when they tell you to change your business model. Three different, like some say, keep the, you know, change it to this, change it to that. That's you know, foundational. Yeah, it, rock, it can rock your whole foundation. Yeah, and I can being in the software business, I've seen that a million times, right? Like, why you know, why are you who are you focused on, right? No, we sell to every small business where we sell to about you know, like no, no, no. What industry are you focused on? No, we sell to every type. No, no, give me like give me one industry. Like that limits my business model, doesn't it? But but some people make that strategy work, right? And so we got to remember that advice always comes from people's own personal experiences, right? They right. suck in what they've really good. We've lived, and we got to try and balance between the two. Yeah, you got to go into it knowing that, again, this gets back into knowing before you go and doing your homework, right? So this is another thing you got to do your homework on before you go and talk to some people because this is something, if you don't have this filter up and this preparation up, you can get, you can get, you could get screwed up by, by, an, by something like that. So, yeah. And I can tell you the, the, the peer sharing side of some of these organizations where we're less kind of like talking about business advice and more just talking about what it's like to be an entrepreneur for me personally have been incredibly valuable. I've been a member of entrepreneurs organization, EO, many folks here may be familiar with it, global organization, 17,000 members. I've been a member for 16 years and my forums back in North Carolina on the East coast. And then, then when I moved to Colorado three years ago, getting connected into the chapter here, it's been absolutely foundational to my life as an entrepreneur um, because mostly because I got to hear the stories of the kind of the real inside stories of companies that even at like the local networking group, you know, folks don't necessarily share, but inside a group like an EO forum where there's confidentiality enforced and vulnerability is, is um, recommended, you know, people can share things about what it was actually like in the moment. And that has made me feel so much more real so many times in those moments when I go, oh my God, that's how I felt too. Or thank you for the heads up. And now when I feel that way later, I'm going to know that, that that train was just coming. I'm on the tracks and there's nothing really wrong about this. 100%. 100%. Yeah. 
All right. So next question is from Sarah Casey. Uh, this is a great one. So in the spirit of not going it alone, thinking about other types of partners in a business, um, what are your thoughts on how you know if and when to bring in equity partners, to bring in that type of partner around you, capital for the business? Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's a good question. Really a tough one, actually. Um, and, and really, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it should really be kind of a, 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 a business decision that you balance between um, the the amount of new market share and, and the amount of additional market, uh, you know, share slash volume. How big? How much bigger can this business get with with adding a partner? Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that should be, I think, a, a, an upfront upfront um, front consideration. Um, and then and then also with the trade off of of the the bringing someone else into your kitchen, right, and having mm-hmm. to share. Um, how you do things or, or not. And of course you can divide the kitchen and there, you know, some, sometimes you can, if it's a, if it's a firm of, of, of services, sometimes you can, you can, um, you can put, you can compartmentalize and you can do things your way and I can do things my way. And that perfectly is fine amongst clients. If you're a services company and you can control that a lot better inside of a services company for sure. Um, and, but when, obviously when it's out of a product company, um, much, much bigger decision by way of that. Right. And, you know, yeah. with product companies, sometimes they do acquisitions, which ultimately, you know, brings new cooks into their kitchen. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't, Aaron, I don't have to tell you how, how catastrophic those often go when, yeah. you know, trying to bring product, um, you know, companies together and, and, Ooh, that's tougher. But I think services companies um, have a much, much easier go of it when, when it comes to adding partners, both on equity and, and operationally. Yeah, I, I had such a great experience in my most successful business bringing in capital partners. Uh, but I think something that's often misunderstood around that is that my co-founder and I bootstrapped that business to almost $3 million in annual subscription revenue before we brought in any outside capital partners. In fact, we just didn't have the sophistication. We didn't know any of the things that you would have taught us if we'd run into you at that time about what was coming next or how to build a business. So we just got lucky and got customers and had a product and grew it. And then one of our entrepreneur friends in North Carolina was like, hey, you guys could raise capital at a pretty efficient rate right now because of your fast growth and your high margins and where you've built this business. You know, you don't have to go out for a pre-seed round and sell a vision. Like you've got to book a business and customers and they recur and um, and you can bring investors in. And and because of that, we were able to maintain a lot of control, which I think helped us as certainly as first-time founders where we didn't have to play too much of the dividing the kitchen in 12 pieces that early on. Now we eventually did because we raised $65 million of capital over a couple of rounds. And then at that point, you know, there's so many people on the board and it got a little bit bigger, but yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, you can separate, you know, capital partners, you know, equity capital partners versus operational partners. And, and I was yeah. kind of reading into that question that maybe these were more operational partners. And even though I know that equity was using the question, but, um, yeah. but, but for sure um, that's, uh, the, a big, a big difference. And I think you, you kind of sounds like you, you handle it right. It's obviously capital equity, if it's, if it's a capital partner, that's really contributing capital, much more manageable than someone that needs to be accommodated for accommodated in the operations itself. And, and that's a much taller order with their, you know, cause all of a sudden that's when you got cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, that's a good point. All right. One last question for you before we wrap up here. So, you know, I spent most of my career building startups in kind of a sub, you know, tier one, tier two startup market in the U.S., which was the RTP area, the Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina and the Southeast. Um, 
now here in Boulder, I don't know, maybe it's a top five startup or top three startup area in the country. It feels a little bit different, but I've spent most of my time in that market when, you know, we would talk to investors on the West Coast or potential acquirers on the West Coast and they'd go like, man, that's really far from here. You know, like, do we really want to, you know, fly our private jets all the way out there and give you guys money and have to go back and forth when we could just invest in this one, you know, that's just over the, the Bay Bridge, right? And and you're in Tampa. So I, yeah. I'm assuming you can probably relate a little bit to that. Like that's not a oh, top five startup market, but there's also incredible things happening. I can relate it a lot, but I will say, first of all, not everybody's got Tom Brady and uh, Stanley Cup um, <laughs> in, uh, in a Super Bowl uh, going on. <laughs> Super Bowl home game. Yeah, I meant to congratulate you on all that today. Yeah, so so maybe it's a tier one startup hub after all, huh? <laughs> and don't forget the Stanley Cup. <laughs> and, right. and don't forget the World Series. But um, no, so I uh, had to put that in there. <laughs> Thank you. Could not resist. But you're right. We, we struggled with that in Tampa Bay. We, by the way, Tampa Bay is Tampa and St. Petersburg and a little bit of Sarasota. And, um, and so we're pretty big market, but it's, it's, um, it is, it is tough, but you know what is, this has changed a lot in the last 18 months, a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, the pandemic, of course, the obvious thing, uh, all of a sudden more and more comfort with, uh, with, with, uh, video conference and, and all of that, but also the, there's been this kind of California exodus, uh, Silicon Valley exodus, which I don't, you know, kind of hurts my heart a little bit because I love the area and I don't feel great about that, but but at the same time, even Jason Calacanis made, only changed one chapter in his last book. He has a chapter in the last book he wrote that says, hey, if you're not in Silicon Valley, you know, you're not, we're not investing. You know, you got to be here. You got to be here to get the money. He, he, he only changed one chapter. I read follow on. He's like, no more. He goes, don't come. He said, don't come here. It's too, too freaking expensive. I don't want my money paying these high, this high cost. We'll come to you. And, and, and that's, a, I mean, he literally had to rip a chapter out of his book to change that. And, uh, and I think that's now more common. I don't, I think that's falling, that's just slipping away quickly. And a lot of it is because all these ecosystems have gotten so sophisticated, Aaron, whether you're in Nashville or Atlanta or, you know, in, in Philadelphia or Tampa Bay or, I mean, anywhere that's not uh, San Francisco, Austin or Boston, right? Like, yeah. it, it's, it's incredible. St. Louis, I mean. Indianapolis, Madison, yeah. Wisconsin. I mean, yeah, these people don't realize are... Twitter was born in the St. Louis area. Like it, it, it can happen everywhere and anywhere. And I think, you know, investors are figuring that out and, and also realizing the, the cost of, of building and delivering is, is important. I mean, investors, you know, a million dollars for people on the call don't know this. They probably do a million dollars. is like, go, it's gone. Like a million dollars does not last. I don't care what market you're in. A million dollars does not go very far. So it's like, you know, do you want it to last five minutes or do you want it to last five weeks? <laughs> Incredible. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so for, folk, for folks listening here who are not in a tier one startup market, this may be the best news that I've heard that's come from the pandemic is that it has flattened this problem out a little bit and location matters less than ever before. And there is a bit of California exodus going on too, which I think benefits yeah. a lot of us that uh, the, the Valley. I think about moving in, by the way, now that they're moving out, I'm, I'm, I plan, I'm thinking about moving in. I lo- this is an opportunity for me, actually. Yeah, get a nice little spot at the top, top of Russian Hill. Yeah, a little discount place. <laughs> I love California. I love San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah, it's good weather. All right, Alan, thanks so much again for your time. We are all going to grab a copy of Quit to start to hear more of your great insights. We're happy to have you in our community. And um, we are both on this journey so passionate about changing the lives of entrepreneurs. So I know we're going to be doing a lot of it together in the future. I've got your book. I recommend everyone get it as well and look forward to continuing to work with you. Hey, thanks, Aaron. I can't wait to have a great 2021 with you and, and this great forum, this great community you're building with Founders First. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, with between, you know, 
between Ian and Dan and yourself. Like, what a great organization. I feel very fortunate to have found you guys, and uh, uh, it's, it's very special. It's very Thank special. You. Thank you so much. And uh, we just really enjoy working with you. So thanks again. Thanks to all our members for joining us for another great forum. We'll see everybody next time. Bye, Sarah. I see you out there. (laughs) Thank you for joining us at Founders First. This conversation continues in the Founders First community. Search Founders First community in the App Store on your phone to learn how to prioritize your health and wellness to become more successful. Get your questions answered by top entrepreneurs, and receive notifications about upcoming shows. Until next time, stay healthy, be at your best, go change the world.